They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. There's no way First Lady Jill Biden will allow her husband, President Joe Biden, to step aside and back out of the presidential race or be pushed out by any factors. That's from a presidential historian visiting with CBS News. His name is Douglas Brinkley. I just don't understand this. I think many of us have asked, you know, why is she allowing this to happen? This is yes. it's, this is a little bit of a different take in like she's orchestrating this to happen, not just allowing it. It's not like she's saying, oh, OK, Joe, if that's what you want to do, I support you. Sounds like she's somewhat orchestrating like you need to be out there. We are not going away. Yes. And I I, I, I hate that just because I I think that he deserves to live the the rest of whatever life he has remaining not doing this and definitely not being in charge of decisions for this nation. Here is Douglas Brinkley, the presidential historian, expounding on his thoughts about the role of Jill Biden, the first lady, in keeping President Biden at the top of the ticket and on the ballot for 2024. That's not the case with Jill Biden. She likes power. She wants to stay. She wants some sense of revenge. She teaches in Virginia Community College. This milieu around our building here, this is is her home. Um, And the idea of relinquishing it all uh, after you've taken the slings and arrows of the last uh, years of attacks. And at the last minute, just when you get all the delegates, you're going to say, I'm going to open it up to a bunch of people. It's it's very childish when you read those kind of reports. She wants a sense of revenge. That jumps out to me. After you've taken the slings and arrows of the last years of attacks, there's no way at the last minute she's going to let him step aside and open it up to a bunch of other people. See, and I don't understand if truly that's what she, and again, this is just one person's take on it. I don't understand how she gets revenge by putting her husband out there for more opportunities to receive those bows and arrows coming her way. Yeah, and uh, he has received kid glove treatment from most of the media during his campaign and once he was elected and placed in the White House. She has uh, a strange view of all of this. They've been suffering the slings and arrows of all of the attacks, and she wants a sense of revenge. That's the word he used. She wants revenge on these people. And see, I don't understand that. If you go away and you're out of the limelight, what usually goes with that? Any attacks you may perceive that are coming your way unfairly, they're not talking about you because you're not out there to talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. And we've been hearing so many reports recently that it's Trump who's on a revenge tour. (laughs) Don't elect him. He's going to go on a rampage of revenge. You've seen those stories. But this historian is saying, no, it's First Lady Jill Biden is the one who really wants a sense of revenge. Get us back in there. We're going to show them. Which, I mean, leads me to believe that she's probably making a lot of decisions. I, I know a lot of people say it's Obama, and it could be a combination of the two. 
you know, I, I get to make these decisions and nobody knows about it. But yes. this is, you know, that that's somewhat of a power trip, too, I would imagine. Oh, yes. Without question. Here are the numbers. 512-836-0590. Also in the news today, 70 survivors of rape and other violent crimes, as well as families who've had loved ones killed in the Austin area, have formed a new group dedicated to the political defeat of the current Travis County District Attorney, Jose Garza. This is a report in DailyMail.com. They're putting everything they have into making sure that he is defeated and will not continue as the Travis County District Attorney. Uh, this is pretty powerful, especially when you have, and I think Garza has on several occasions said that he fights for the victims. He definitely is, you know, takes them into account in everything he does. And here you've got a group of either victims or their families that are saying he doesn't look out for us. His bedside manner was the biggest complaint by many. Um, We've heard from many that have said there's no consultation there on do we want to go along with any kind of offered agreement that he's giving these criminals or what is our input on anything. He just makes these decisions and we're left going, that's not justice. I don't recall this ever occurring in any district attorney race here in Travis County where groups of crime victims get together and openly urge the public not to vote for the sitting district attorney. I think it's unprecedented, and it speaks volumes about the soft-on-crime approach of the current Travis County DA Garza when you have 70 victims and family members all pulling together to bring about his defeat. Yeah, and KXAN did did an investigation into Garza, and they found that he is dropping charges, like, altogether, just dropping the charges. We're not even talking about any of the plea agreements, but just dropping the charges 50% more, almost 50% more, compared to previous district attorneys that have held that office. Just dropping the charges, not even pursuing a little bit of something. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got uh, room for you to weigh in with your thoughts at 512-836-0590. There is a Democrat candidate in the Democratic primary for DA here in Travis County, and there's also a Republican candidate who wants to unseat the current DA Garza. These families say we're we're all united. We have felt the sting of his soft on crime approach as the DA and we are going to be bringing our voices to this fight. 512-836-0590. A lot of police officers also would be joining in that. Oh yeah. Adding their voices to the fight. I'm sure the Austin Police Association is applauding these families. I can't think of there being too many that would be in support, except for the people that are of the same mindset as D.A. Garza, that when you hear what's been happening in his office, that you would continue or would support that in any manner. It just, it's... It's not about getting justice for victims. It's not about making sure that the criminals know committing crime in Travis County is not acceptable. Yeah, uh, and Garza campaigned uh, with a pledge to really transform the legal system in this county. 
sadly. Turn it upside down. So sadly, he has. Yes. I mean, we talk about that with Biden. He campaigned on open up the doors, and that's what happened. Same thing with this DA. 512-836-0590. Call or text us. It's 511 with Mark and Melinda on KLBJ. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. 516 Tigers here producing. Adam has some thoughts on this group of crime victims who say they're uniting to bring about the political defeat of Travis County DA Garza. Adam, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Yes. What are your thoughts, Adam? Well, you know, I just wanted to make a quick comment on the whole situation. I think it's of no surprise that, uh, you know, Garza is actually funded by George Soros. And uh, the the soft on crime approach is, um, you know, at no surprise because of that funding. And honestly, the whole shortage on, uh, you know, the police force in Austin just adds on. Uh, to criminals being off the hook, and it's it's getting out of hand. Honestly, I don't see him uh, receiving the popularity that he initially received. Do you think he he may lose either in the primary or the general election? I think he'll probably lose, if not in the primary, definitely in the general election. It would be cr- crazy, 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 crazy if he didn't lose. That would just mean the people that are actually going out and voting aren't paying that much attention to what is happening or the, or they have the same mindset. I mean, I think that as people open up their eyes to the situation and notice these, these things, and of course the 70 uh, victims and families is going to help uh, the, the common public open their eyes to everything. I think as that continues, he will, of course, gain less popularity. And uh, I think he'll lose. You know, hopefully he does because it's not okay. No, it's Mm -hmm. not. And and you're right about the funding from George Soros. Uh, They both have the same philosophy in in terms of their hostility toward the U.S. justice system and what they want to do to change it. And they, they have done a lot to change the system. And they've done a lot of damage, Adam. Of course. And, uh, you know, I was actually in Los Angeles uh, about a year or so ago, and they're having the same issue with uh, the Los Angeles district attorney, so also funded by George Soros. Um, you know, the, the guy's got a soft on crime approach as well, and, and nobody nobody likes the guy. I'm going to be honest. Everybody was – I'm involved in a little bit of politics, uh, you know, advocating for the community and whatnot. That's what I was doing over there, and, you know, you can tell. I mean – I'm not sure how these guys get into office. I mean, aside from the the huge amount of funding they receive from Soros, I really don't know. That's Gascon that you're talking about in L.A. Gascon, yes, mm-hmm. Gascon. Yeah, and they it's the same. It is the same philosophy the there same as thing. as Garza has here, and you can pretty much go to any big city and you're going to find there is a Soros-backed DA and you're seeing the same results happen there as well. Adam, thank you. Have a good afternoon, sir. We appreciate it. 512-836-0590. The Austin Police Association continues to let the public know 
what is happening in terms of their staffing shortages and how that really endangers the public. Here's one example that they gave to CBS Austin in their report today. Michael Bullock is president of the Austin Police Association. He says when the city council was meeting last Thursday in downtown, there were only six police officers assigned to the day shift for the entire downtown area. Four of those were pulled off their duty to go guard the Austin City Council, which was having a big hearing from the Palestinian supporters. Got rowdy down there. So four of the six officers were pulled away from protecting all of downtown and focused on the city council meeting. I don't know about you, but that makes it, in my eyes, the situation is bad. It's bad. We know we don't have enough. We know that means there's a shortage on every single shift for every single sector. But this is something that is made worse when you have the city council members a lot of them the same individuals that voted to take money away and out of the police officers that have been on the record uh, not really supporting Mm -hmm. Austin police officers, and yet I bet they did not even think twice about calling for those officers to come and protect them, what that would leave the rest of the city with, I, it was, I bet it wasn't even a thought that crossed their mind. It just was, we need them, we will have them. We, it's okay yes. to have personal security, but when it comes to the public, not our first priority. Now, the audacity of them to do that, but they did it. It's breathtaking. Pro-Palestinian supporters were yelling and screaming, spitting on people. So four of the six downtown officers got pulled off their duty to protect the city council members. Here's another example. He says, in East Austin, an entire sector of East Austin went two hours without a single APD patrol officer in that sector. Not one. Uh, Because they're so shorthanded. He says they had to backfill and make it up with detectives and specialized units pulling double duty to help provide coverage to East Austin. But for two hours, there was not a single police officer available for that sector. I would like to know during those two hours, what was going on? Did they they get calls? Were there delays in responding um, because of this? Like what what were the results of not having a patrol officer in an area for two hours? I know he said they backfilled it, but what does that mean? Are they able to get there as, as quickly as a patrol officer? I wouldn't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to know the information on that. What does this mean? And not just for East Austin. If they're doing that, let's go back to the two officers that had downtown all to themselves yes. on that day. What was going on on that day? Was there anybody that did not get help that was seeking it? That, it, that would be critical data to see. That would really open the eyes of the public. Here is Austin Police Association President Michael Bullock talking with CBS Austin about the officer shortage. We're not trying to sound the alarms for people, but we think people deserve to know. If we are fully staffed, you know, even right now with our current resources, if we were fully staffed, we would have somewhere around 12 to 14 officers that are available in most sectors during that time. Uh, But lately we're dealing with 
having maybe seven or eight that are available. It's okay to sound the alarms. It's we all right to, to do that. Yes, the public should know. Don't don't apologize for that. Ring the alarm bells. This is one of the fundamental things that the city council is supposed to be on top of and have priority for. So if there is a reason to sound the alarm, absolutely do it. And I would say the shortage or having areas that are not being patrolled is a reason to sound the alarm. You need to let the public know. Remember when the DPS first arrived and some of the city council members threw a tantrum like a three-year-old? Oh, yeah. You're focusing on East Austin. You're profiling. You're putting too much attention on East Austin. Now we're at a point where this weekend there were two hours where an entire sector had zero police officers. Is that what they want? Is that what they really envisioned? Apparently it is what they want. Well, I was going to say, I I don't know how to answer that. I think for the majority of the people, they would say, no, nobody wants to have a section of our town that has no one patrolling it at any time. But they may want, because they thought too much focus was being put on East Austin, even though that was the area that was having the most calls to 911 seeking help, they may think that that was absolutely fine like we need more of that <laughs> 512-836-0590 to join the discussion the new york times is reporting today president biden may be backing off his big push for electric vehicles it says uh, according to three white house sources he may have the environmental protection agency ease up on those tailpipe emission standards that they had announced which are designed to force the automakers to build electric vehicles. By a certain year, 2030, the rules would force the big car companies to have 67% of their sales be electric vehicles. But there's a problem. The public is not buying the electric vehicles. The car companies are losing a lot of money on each electric vehicle they make. And the auto unions are upset about the big push. And that's why it says Biden is about to order the EPA back off. For now, it's an election year. I'm trying to hang on to my job. Yeah, he doesn't have a choice at this point. Uh, It's all stacked against him for this urgent push to everything needs to be electric. And he knows that potential voters could be lost if he doesn't jump on this. And so that's why you're seeing this. Everything that you're going to see from here on out is all about trying to secure enough votes for a second term. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. Everything will go through that political lens. 512-836-0590. It's 527 with Mark and Melinda. And now back to the Mark and Melinda show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. One of the stories we're discussing is from CBS Austin. The Austin Police Association continues to inform the citizens of the danger created by the shortage of officers. And they're giving specific examples like last Thursday, there were only six officers to patrol the entire downtown sector. And four of those got called off of that duty to go protect the Austin City Council from the pro-Palestinian protesters who were getting out of hand at the city council meeting. You got a text message during the break. What does it say, Melinda? Well, we were talking about um, 
East Austin on one day went unpatrolled for two hours. Now, they said that they were able to backfill it with other specialized units. And we got a text that says, that's right. You've got training instructors, recruiters, SWAT members, EOD, homicide detectives. Everybody in a specialized unit is now permanently working to backfill patrol, Mm. which means how much time are they, do they have to do what they were hired to do in that specialized unit? You're thinking about detectives that usually are out searching for a murderer or the evidence to put a murderer behind bars. They're not allowed to do that because they need to go and, and fill in on patrol just as delayed yet again. Yes, they're responding to 911 calls while the murderer is still out there. Uh, let's let's go to Hank at 533, Mark and Melinda on KLBJ. Good afternoon, Hank. How are you? Uh, Jim Dandy Peachy, thanks for taking my call. Uh, <laughs> to get to the point of the lack of officers, uh, I know it's the same thing. I'm from the Colleen uh, area. And, uh, you know, it seems when we look at things, I know from a school district standpoint, we've got too many chiefs and too little Indians. But that's a a quick comment on what's going on in Austin as far as the policing business goes. But So do you you think we have uh, too many at the administrative level and not enough where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, out there uh, tracking down the bad guys? Yeah, I think that's true of a lot of institutions that are quote-unquote government. But get to the point where I'm looking at from an overall view of uh, America itself is that we're just basically apathetic as far as voters go. We don't have an appreciation of our Bill of Rights, Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence. And I could put a case in point from the standpoint of the last... uh, school district, KISD school district uh, turnout for KISD of, uh, electors, there was about 120,000 of eligible voters. Uh, and that's about half of uh, Bell County. Um, there were only 3.6% of eligible voters that voted and participated in the council uh, trustee vote. Yeah, sadly, we see that here in Austin, too, where you have such low percentage voter turnout. But I think that's starting to change, Hank, that's starting to change some with regard to school board elections. I think in the last couple of years, many people have have realized they have to get involved and take part. It's it's vital. What what else were you going to say, Hank? Well, I was going to say... that's true. I'm glad uh, K- or, uh, Austin ISD has uh, stepped up a little bit. But I'm talking about standpoint of the teaching of civics. And that's, you know, we're four generations behind that basic uh, understanding of being an American, of being a citizen. Hank, thanks so much. You have a good one. He is right. Uh, that should be a requirement throughout school. It should be ongoing. Civics. Yes, the Constitution, how our system works, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and unfortunately, to, to get back on the, the low voter turnout, 
I know at least for the last couple of elections, and I don't know how far it goes back, but you hear quite often, well, I don't think my vote even matters in a sense of whether they think it's rigged to start with or it it doesn't matter how they vote. I'm just one person. It just doesn't matter. And sadly, when you have that kind of mindset and you don't go out and vote, you get the low turnout and the big turnout seems to be for policies that you probably wouldn't want in place, but then you're stuck with them. 512-836-0590. There's a high school in the Boston area that's become so violent and chaotic that they're begging for the National Guard to be sent in to restore order at the high school. Brockton, Massachusetts High School. Members of the school board are imploring the mayor and the governor to send in the National Guard. They have fights all the time. Teachers are in rebellion now. The teachers are just about ready to quit in very large numbers because it is so dangerous to teach in this high school. Here's one of the school board members, Tony Rodriguez, at a news conference today saying that they need the National Guard to come into this high school. We did send a letter out to the mayor requesting support from the governor on requesting the National Guard be deployed uh, to the city of Brockton to give us support. This isn't something that is negative. Um, the National Guard does bring positivity. No, it, it is negative at its core, sir, that things have gotten so out of hand that you need the National Guard. Okay, this is just me wondering out loud here. Nothing to support these thoughts, just a thought that's coming to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this uh, school committee member said it's just over the past few years, our high school has experienced a disturbing increase in incidents. Uh, we also have in the news Massachusetts, which is the same state that this is in, the influx of illegals that are living there and that they are paying for. Is there any correlation? I'm not saying that there is, but it's a question that needs to be asked. If you have a bunch of kids that are coming here illegally because their family's bringing them and then you have to put them in school is there is there anything going on with that or is it just in massachusetts they've got bad kids that are fighting like we've got all over Mm -hmm. the nation that continues to fight just just a thought well here's uh, more from mr rodriguez the school board member on the need for the national guard in this high school i know some people don't support it But if you support safety in our schools, you will support the National Guard to come in here and keep our students safe. Well, it sounds like the uh, people in charge of this high school have raised the white flag of surrender. They're admitting that they are failing. I know the superintendent of the school district, Melinda, put out a written statement. He said, the real problem is we need state lawmakers to make changes. We're kind of handcuffed by state laws and policies. We need them to allow us to do what we need to do. Which makes me curious. I don't know what laws they're talking about if they have it in there where they're not allowed to discipline or send to an alternative school. You know, you're not allowed to suspend or put an ISS. I would like to know that of all this stuff that is going on. What have you done to try to prevent it and haven't been successful? Are there any disciplinary measures that are in place that are being enforced? Do sounds like maybe the state has their hands tied and they can't that all would need to be looked at if it is state law that you can't kick a kid out then yeah those legislators need to look at that massachusetts is deep blue 
one of the bluest of the blue states. My hunch is that state lawmakers have tied the hands of teachers and school administrators. Um, they don't want the kids being expelled. If somebody slugs a teacher, they're probably right back in the classroom that day or the next day. If they beat up another kid, there is nothing to hold them accountable. And that that is a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. And we're seeing it play out right here where they're now raising the white flag and saying, we have to have the National Guard come in. It is so violent and chaotic. We'll see if they get the message there and try to readdress this. That's the bad part about state legislation making the educational decisions. A lot of them don't have a clue what being in that school looks like and what some of their laws that they put onto them does and are de- and how detrimental they are to the oh, education process. It's a complete failure all across the country. Mm-hmm. And and it's disastrous. 512-836-0590. Weigh in with your thoughts. It's 542 now with Mark and Melinda. And now back to the Mark and Melinda show, streaming live on the News Radio KLBJ app. We're discussing a situation in Massachusetts in the Boston area where members of the school board are begging the governor to send in the National Guard to restore order at Brockton High School. Uh, Four of them had a news conference imploring the governor to send in the National Guard before there is a tragedy at this high school. They say, we have frequent fights, we have stabbings, rampant drug use, teachers are uh, rebelling, they don't want to work anymore because it is just too dangerous. And they wrote a letter to the governor of Massachusetts asking for the National Guard to be sent in. David is in Round Rock with Mark and Melinda. Hello, David. How are you? David, welcome. Hey there. Yes, David, welcome. How Hello. are you? Hey, I just want to say there's going to be more and more uh, of people asking for help because uh, uh, we've tied the teachers' hands. The teachers can't do anything now. You know, we've put so many rules and, you know, regulations on them now that they can't discipline their kids. And and our, our world is, is 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 tumbling. I mean, when you think about it, I'm about to vote for a guy that's been convicted of a sexual uh, 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 crime and uh, financial fraud because the one we have in house right now is that bad. I mean, this is what our world is coming to. Well, I agree with you fully on your point about the teachers. We have put them in a horrible position. We're not supporting them. The students know they're untouchable, so they feel free to just run rampant. And in some cases, they're inflicting horrible assaults on the teachers and other staff. It's outrageous. And then you, and on top of that, you don't have the parents backing the teachers like like when we were like when we grew up. Right. You know, I would get a I would get a whooping at school, and then when I got home, I would get another one. You know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, what, don't, you know they're. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, David, in those days, it was inconceivable for a student to even think about putting a hand on a teacher or staff member. My goodness, they wouldn't even talk back to them. They no. definitely weren't going to put a hand on them. Exactly. And, I, you know, I, I try to I try to look back. We talk about it, you know, uh, me and my friends. What what has gone wrong? I mean, where, where you know, I, I ask them, I say, is it in the food? It's a pesticide. What is going on with this world? With, with you know, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, some of these activists uh, have the philosophy that if you do discipline the kids and hold them accountable, 
you're sending them in a pipeline to prison. But in reality, what they have unleashed with this soft on crime approach is a quicker, yes, quicker pa- uh, pipeline. It really is. It's far more devastating. Well, there. I mean, it, it, when you think about it, the the the, the mentality that. Every kid gets a trophy now. Is is you know coddling these kids? It, it's it's ridiculous. You know, win or lose, you get a trophy. Back when I was growing up, hey, if you lost, you better try harder next time. You know. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. And and the teacher has full command of that classroom. What they say yeah. goes. There is order in the classroom. And it's backed up by the parents at home. Yes. Instead of the parents coming and questioning the teacher when something comes up. Yes, definitely. And, and, you know, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, the teachers aren't the teachers that, you know, were around when we grew up either. These teachers nowadays are, they're, they're, they're different, you know. They're, 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 they're not the same, you know. First of all, you got kids teaching kids, you know, and then there's sexual assault in schools now from the teachers. I'm sure they went on back in our days, but they were far and few. Yes. Uh, there's there's one in the news every day now here in Texas schools, David. We just mm-hmm. don't bring them up, but we could find yeah. one every day. Yeah, sad. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, like I said, things, this, the, the world is just a different place, man. Uh, we You, you got to get yourself ready. You got to get yourself ready because, hey, one day God's going to come. Got to stay ready, David. You're right about that, sir. Thank you. You have a good one. 512-836-0590. This is a big high school. I looked during the break. The enrollment at Brockton High School is 3,586 students. Yeah, I think they said it was the fifth largest district in Massachusetts. Yes. Uh, And uh, they had 35 teachers call in sick last week. The thinking is they're afraid to go in and teach because it's become so dangerous. Imagine that. That has got to be miserable as a teacher. And the majority of them that go into that field truly want to be able to help these kids and help make a difference and and actually teach them. And that has got to be one of the most horrible feelings that you wake up every day and go, I I just I can't do this. I don't want to go put my life on the line just to do something that Mm -hmm. they're passionate about. Yes. I, I also saw in this article, Melinda, uh, something that might be related to to your question about is Massachusetts with the influx of illegal immigrants having to deal with that, and is it somehow affecting their public schools? This article says that there's a $14 million budget deficit for Brockton and the schools right there in the Boston area. Right now, they laid off 120 mm-hmm. staff members, and uh, that might also be playing a role fewer staff trying to deal with 3,586 students in one building. Yeah, it definitely sounds like the ratio of students to adults or staff that are there probably way off, and that's helping to contribute. Let's go to Gene at 552. Mark and Melinda, hello, Gene. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, welcome aboard. What are your thoughts, Gene? Well, I, I had a comment to make on the last caller's remarks when he was saying um, he just doesn't know what's going wrong with the world and we need to stay ready because one day God's coming back and I just want to echo that sentiment and what's going wrong. Um, And this is unpopular in a lot of 
parts of the country, but maybe not here, except for Austin, perhaps. But the problem is uh, the schools or the government have or are kicking God out of the picture. And Melinda and others, you're absolutely right. The parents have abdicated their role of raising their kids and handed it off to the state, and the state is failing miserably. The teachers that we have now are the of radical secularists who are in charge of our universities, and it all boils down to the lack of the reverence for our Creator. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say. Gene, have a great day, sir. Thanks so much. 512-836-0590. Here's a story out of San Antonio. Uh, we just told you they're worried they're going to have a tragedy at, at the Brockton High School in the Boston area. Well, this is News 4 in San Antonio saying a special needs instructional assistant at Brandeis High School in San Antonio is now dead. February 7th, it's reported he was trying to break up a fight between students. He hit his head and died over the weekend from the head injuries. Now, he had been there for years. Uh, he was known to the students, working with special needs students, Melinda, who have a, a range of challenges, is how they put it here in this San Antonio report. Uh, yeah, students with severe to moderate disabilities, and they are investigating. I don't know if or anything will come of this. I, I've read a couple of different versions of this story and the way that it's being reported it's really hard to tell what happened on this day one said breaking up a student altercation several of them said in the process of redirecting a student he fell um, so it is important that this investigation is done but not only that that the results of those investigation are known to the staff and to the parents mm -hmm. of this school the full and the taxpayers and at the large. taxpayers yes That'll do it for today's show. We're live and local every weekday, 2 to 6. Mark and Melinda, have a great evening, you Melinda. Too. Thank you. Tiger, good to have you back. Great job. The news is coming up next. <laughs>